Take your Bibles, if you would, and uh, open up to Acts chapter 15 this morning. Uh, We will be looking at Acts chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 11. Uh, This section of Scripture is often called uh, the Jerusalem Council because there's a council that goes on uh, in Jerusalem over uh, the issue of whether or not uh, Gentiles are are saved by believing in Christ or whether or not they, they need to also take on aspects of the Old Testament law, particularly uh, circumcision. So we're going to look at the first half of the Jerusalem Council this week, uh, and then next week we'll look at what James says as part of the council and also what the council decides. But we're going to focus on uh, the setup for the council and then also uh, Peter's preaching uh, as well. Follow along then in the Word of God, uh, Acts chapter 15. Uh, Thus saith the Lord, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching uh, the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders uh, together to, to, were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And the God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them uh, the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Let us start with a word of prayer this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would attend to the ministry of your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be present. Uh, Give me the words to say, Lord, uh, we pray that that, um, you would be here and that you would speak to each and every one of us, wherever we are in our relationship with you, you have something here in this passage for us. And so, Lord, feed your sheep, Uh, guide my lips and my voice. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Let me start this morning by by asking you uh, a question, something uh, to think about. When I was a a counselor at a Christian camp uh, by the name of of Victory Valley, uh, we were teaching uh, a devotional with some young teens, and we were uh, sharing the gospel with them. And a young man... uh, had the boldness to ask me. He he wasn't a believer at that point. And so a young man asked me, 
do I need to give up marijuana in order to be saved? If you were asked that question, how would you answer that? Do I need to give up marijuana in order to be saved? We're not talking about a Christian who's seeking to follow the Lord in obedience. We're talking about someone that doesn't know the Lord. Do I need to give this up in order to be saved, in order to have salvation, in order to get it or receive it? Our main point this morning is concerning the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And so, believing in Jesus Christ is sufficient for salvation. We are in a passage of Scripture where the early church is wrestling, what is sufficient for salvation? What does someone need to do to to come to saving faith? And what then sort of requirements do we put on these these Gentiles who are uh, typically outside of the Old Testament? They did not know the Old Testament law. They had not been part of the the covenant people of God through the Old Testament. Now that we are in the new covenant through uh, Jesus Christ, what do these people need to do? What is the proper response in coming to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they need to be circumcised in order to be saved? So first this morning, this is the question that arises. What is necessary for salvation? Jesus Christ is sufficient for salvation. What is necessary for salvation? So some were actually saying that you cannot be saved unless you are also circumcised. Look at verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. So they're, they're coming in and they're coming to the church and they're saying uh, to a mixed audience of both Jews and Gentiles, Jews would have been circumcised under the, the Old Testament traditions and the keeping of the customs of Moses. Gentiles would not have been. And these people are saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, being circumcised according to the custom of Moses means following various Old Testament commands. One of the big commands associated with whether or not you were taking on the law, the the old covenant, was, am I circumcised? In the Old Testament, it marked you apart symbolically as to whether or not you were part of the people of God, whether or not you were part of God's family. It was an outward sign. Uh, it started in Genesis uh, chapter 17, the covenant, part of the covenant that God made with Moses. The, the perpetual sign of it would be the sign of circumcision. And so Genesis 17:14 says, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people for he has broken my covenant. And so what we have then in, in the time of the apostles is some are misunderstanding the role of circumcision and, and perhaps even twisting scriptures like the one we just read so that they are wrongly applying it to say, if you are not circumcised, you're not saved. 
You're cut off from the people of God. You cannot have a part of the benefits of being in God's family, the blessings. Circumcision in, in this day for, for the Jewish person was a huge deal. We forget sometimes some of the things that happen uh, between the finishing of the Old Testament and those 400 years that went on until the coming of Christ. But, but Jewish believers, genuine believers, faced a lot of persecution during those 400 years. Various times, people coming in and the, the temple was once defiled at one point by the sacrifice of a pig from a, a pagan king, a, a pagan leader. And, and at various times under this persecution, one of the, the ways that, that Jews tried to protect themselves is they, they turned away from God. Well, if they're mocking people that worship the living God, we'll turn away. And, and in the book of Maccabees, which is not Scripture, but it records what's going on during this time, it says that some of them, in turning away from God, they, quote, removed the mark of circumcision and abandoned the Holy Covenant. They joined the Gentiles. In, in other words, they joined with these pagans who were worshiping false gods and sold themselves to do evil. And so you could imagine in, in the time now that, that this has gone on 200 or so years in the past, and now Jesus has come, and now there are people coming to saving faith, and, and Gentiles are coming. You can imagine why some of these people would have hung on and said, well, if these Gentiles don't get circumcised, they're, they're not really saved. They're not really a true believer. Look at how our ancestors turned away from God. And if they don't follow these commands, they're not saved. They don't belong to God. Uh, even in the book of Joshua, when the people of God uh, were about to cross over uh, the Jordan River and go into the promised land, uh, this was the new generation. The generation that had come out of Egypt, uh, passed through the Red Sea. They, they all died off in the wilderness according to their sin. And the new generation was raised up. And, and before they could go into the land, they had to consecrate themselves to the Lord. They had to get circumcised to, to demonstrate that they were following the Lord in, in obedience. And it says in Joshua 5, 9, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. In other words, he's saying, today I've taken away your sins. There was a, a cleansing. And the outward signs of circumcision were to indicate what was going on inwardly. But you could see how, how someone in, in Jesus' day could, could just with a little bit of, of uh, twisting of the verses make a pretty compelling case. Well, you know, if they want their sins to be taken away, just like God took away the reproach of the Exodus generation, they better get circumcised. They can't be saved without it. What I'm trying to impress upon you is this was a real problem. But it's a real issue that we face in our day, not with circumcision per se, but what does someone need to do to be saved? Is Christ sufficient for salvation? Or are there other things that, that need to come along with it that if I don't do them, I'm not saved? 
is salvation in Jesus Christ alone. This led to a dispute in the local church. Look at verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas, uh, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate. This is this is an understatement. When you say there was no small debate, this is this is a way of saying there was a lot of fighting over this. This was an important issue. There was dissension over this. There was debate. There was a hammering out of Scripture. There was a presenting of arguments. And Paul and Barnabas arguing passionately that salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone and believing upon Him. Paul writing to the Galatians saying that if anyone comes and teaches you another gospel, let them be anathema. Let them be cursed. They are damned to hell if you bring another gospel and another way of salvation. Let me impress upon you, brothers and sisters, this is a debate that is still worth having in our day and age. We cannot stand in unity with every other church that is out there when they don't preach the true gospel. Let me give you just a real crystal clear clear example. We still have this debate with the Roman Catholic Church today. They believe, we would say that you are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. That, That salvation is granted when a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and upon believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive a gift of righteousness and you can stand before God completely forgiven. You have salvation in that moment. And in their Council of Trent, they condemn that view. Their view is that you, you, yeah, you need to have faith, but then in that faith you need to have a working out of your salvation in the sense that you need to do good deeds and take the sacraments to appropriate the grace of God. And, and if you over time get enough through going through this and, and having righteousness formed in you, then you might go to heaven. And just in case you don't have enough, you can go to purgatory in an interim state and burn it off. The question is this. Is Christ sufficient for salvation? Does believing in Christ bring all the good gifts of salvation, the complete righteousness that we need at the moment we believe, or is the gift of righteousness a process that over time, if I do the right things, maybe I'll have enough to stand before God and get salvation? It's a debt debate and an area of dissension that we need to maintain the line on. Not to be mean and nasty. We don't want to just go around dividing frivolously with all kinds of other people. But we need to divide on issues that concern the gospel. There was no small dispute in the local church over this. Uh, Even then, believers in Jerusalem who belonged to the party of the Pharisees started to fall prey to this to make Uh, circumcision necessary. Look at verses 4 and 5. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. 
But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Uh, This would have included the food laws and other ceremonial purity laws. But notice in verse 5, it says some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. Now, it's it's easy to harp on the Pharisees when we see them in Scripture, right? Because Jesus really uh, sticks it to them. Sometimes we forget that we are all sometimes little Pharisees in our own hearts. We all love having our little rules that we put into place that we can make ourselves good in our own eyes. But notice that these were Pharisees that had gotten saved. It says, but some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. These were genuine Christians who were were falling prey to this, who were who were being misled about the nature of salvation. Can it happen in a church that believers start to subtly slide away from the gospel and miss out on the complete sufficiency of Christ? Can we get deluded in our doctrine? Yes. And we need to be on guard. This was a big issue. Is salvation found in Jesus Christ alone or not? The argument could have simply been something like from these Pharisees. Well, if you want to experience the true blessings of being saved, if you want to be a child of God, don't you want to be part of God's family? God's family has always been circumcised. Moses did it. Abraham did it. Are you better than Abraham? Now, Paul will say in Romans that Abraham was justified or saved by faith alone. And that circumcision was was a sign and symbol of those things that had come through faith, but it was through faith alone. And what matters for the believer now is not outward circumcision, but the work of the Holy Spirit who changes our heart, what the Bible calls an inward circumcision. So the outward symbols that were good and useful in the Old Testament are, are replaced by the true realities of what the Holy Spirit does. But the bottom line is salvation is found only through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So our second point this morning is notice that God makes no distinction between people. All are saved exactly the same way. There was in the, the, this time, the first century, a, a radical division between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, to say that they did not get along uh, would be an understatement. Now, there were Gentiles who would come and gather in the synagogues and would start to, to devote themselves to the things of the Lord and, and those sorts of things. But generally, the Gentile was a pagan, uh, someone who lived in sin. And, and how do we keep ourselves separate from that, the Jews might say? Well, we have the gifts of God in the law that he's told us how to, to mark ourselves apart. So we might know what believers look like, they might even say. And so this was no small issue. But what God is doing in the book of Acts is he's saving people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. He's saving Jew and Gentile. And the key point here is this. He is saving them exactly the same way. Even in the Old Testament, salvation was always through faith alone. And now with the fulfillment of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ceremonial aspects of the Old Testament, the 
the ceremonial commands of, the, of God that marked, marked uh, outward signs could, could, could just slide away. The, the food laws. God declares all things clean as we looked at earlier in Acts. Notice how God is saving the Gentiles. Look at verse 6 and 7. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter and there had been much and after there had been much debate Peter stood up and said to them brothers you know that in the early days God made a choice among you uh, God has done this God is saving people how did God do it look he says that by my mouth Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and be saved God made a choice. We're talking about what God did with Cornelius. God saved him. How did God do this? God brought Peter to share the gospel. These people believed, and at the moment they believed, they were saved. I can't wander from the mic. I didn't do this one because I didn't want to cough into it. So i got to stay, stay here. But notice... What it says, they heard the word and believed. This is how salvation always comes. Romans ten seventeen, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Romans ten eight. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And what is that word? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. It does not take a Greek scholar to see that circumcision is not mentioned there. What does somebody have to do to be saved? The Word of God is proclaimed. The Word of God is believed. They are saved. That's it. And Paul says, or Peter says that, that God is the one who's done this. Look at verse 8. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did with us. And you could go back to Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, how the Gentiles glorified God. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. There was working of signs and miracles so that everybody suddenly recognized, oh my goodness, these Gentiles have the same Holy Spirit that we got in Acts 2 when we got saved, when we believed in what Jesus Christ has done. And they say God has granted repentance to the Gentiles, meaning God has taken this word and he has spread it out beyond just the borders of Israel. And people are getting saved. God has made no distinction. Then look at verse 9. And he has made no distinction between us and them. Romans 10:12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter from what culture you're from, what your race is. It doesn't matter. Everybody who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is saved and belongs to God. And they are part of the body of Christ from that moment on. Meaning we're all family. We all belong to Jesus. We all have received the same salvation. Then, the third point this morning, we are saved by faith and not by attempting to obey God 
and keep his commands. Look at what Peter says in verse 10. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? It was common in rabbinic material for the picture of a yoke to be a positive uh, image. Uh, a yoke that God put on the people in, in the law. You know, how a yoke might, might guide and direct the oxen. Well, the law was given to God's people to, to guide and direct them. And it, and it was a good thing. It was saying, you know, we belong to God. He has put His, His yoke on us. He is guiding us. Peter here uses it as a, a negative imagery. You think of a, a heavy burden, a, a yoke, uh, something that is oppressing, something that you can't do. Did you ever have maybe a, a sports coach that, that set the bar so high that you felt like you were never measuring up? He tells you to run the 100-yard dash, and so you run it and you get back, and he's like, you can do it faster. Uh, the football coach who at the end of practice makes you run wind sprints because he thinks you're lazy and in shape. This is what the law was like. It was a yoke because at the end of the day, no one can keep and obey God perfectly. The whole point of or one of the whole points of the Old Testament is God saves his people and he gives them these good things that they should do to obey. And guess what? They never, ever obey. They, they are given the land and they are given the law and it says do this and you'll live and you'll stay in the land and you'll enjoy God and you will have blessings and it will be great fellowship with God because He saved you and brought you out of Egypt. Now all you have to do is obey Him. And they can't do it. They get sent into exile. They go down to Babylon Everybody ends up a sinner. And they need the Lord Jesus Christ to come and bring a new covenant. They need a perfect sacrifice for sin who can actually wash away sin, not in a symbolic manner. And Peter says, why would you put that on them? We couldn't even do it. Why do you expect them to do it? To keep the law. Why do you make that the condition of salvation for them when all of us have broken it and are sinners and needed Jesus Christ and were saved through Jesus Christ alone? Even in the Old Testament, the Jewish person could not keep the requirements of the law. They were never saved by law keeping, nor were they supposed to be. Romans 2.23 says to the Jewish person, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Romans 3.20 says, for by the works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight. Meaning by keeping the commandments of God, no person can come before God and say, I am righteous. And the reason is nobody keeps the commands of God. We break it. We're sinners. But God loved us and sent His Son to save us. You are saved completely in Christ the moment that you believe and trust in Him. 
When you receive Christ, you receive all of his benefits the moment you believe, including a righteousness from God as a gift that allows you to stand before God and pass the bar of judgment. You are not saved through an ongoing process of how much you come to church and how often you take communion and how many good deeds that you do. You are saved by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this brings us to the last point, that salvation is by grace through faith. We are saved through faith because of the grace of Jesus. Look at verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. Peter is saying to these people, you guys believed in Jesus, and we believe that's how we're saved, us who are Jewish, and it's the same for them. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the church and went to Sunday school, or if you were a horrible sinner, joining cults, living in immorality, getting drunk, You're saved by believing in Jesus Christ. God's not impressed with whether or not you came to church from a young age. It means nothing before the bar of God at the final judgment. Now, coming to church is a good thing, but coming to church isn't the thing that gets you saved. We're not saved by what we do before God. We are saved by the work of Jesus Christ. And the only way to receive the work of Jesus Christ is to put your faith and trust in Him. You are coming before God. You are asking Him to forgive you. You are acknowledging, I cannot save myself. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. That doesn't save you. It doesn't matter if you're a good person in the eyes of the world or not. That doesn't save you. It doesn't matter if you give all of your money to the church and are here every time the doors are open and you go on ten missions trips in your life. You're not saved because of those things. You're saved because you believe in the Lord Jesus. Romans chapter 3 says this, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ through all who believe, for there is no distinction For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified, or or in other words, they are declared righteous by the gift, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 3.28 says this, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. That, That apart from means to the exclusion of. Works of the law are, are anything that you do in, in obedience to God. The Ten Commandments are the law of God. Keeping the Ten Commandments, which is a good thing. I hope none of you are going out and murdering anyone this afternoon. Uh, keeping the Ten Commandments are works of the law. But you are saved to the exclusion of works of the law. You are saved or justified, declared righteous by faith, by faith in Christ. This is the verse where we get the concept, you are saved by faith alone. There are two principles here, faith 
and works of the law. And he says you are saved apart from that. The Roman Catholic Church denies that you are justified by faith alone. Paul says you are justified only by faith. By faith alone, without any good deeds that you might do. And and we do hope that you do good deeds. But they don't save you. Let me give you three applications this morning. First, whoever you are, wherever you are, come to Christ just as you are. Everyone's invited to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have never done that, I challenge you and call on you by the grace of God, do that today. We sing in our hymns, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. There were some pretty vile people in the Gospels that got saved. Prostitutes, tax collectors. There were Pharisees that got saved. And they got saved the same way. The Pharisees would have had a good reputation to the people around them. They were knowledgeable in the Scriptures. Now, Jesus calls them out because of their hypocrisy. But you know how it is with a hypocrite. They're a mess inside, but they look really good on the outside. And that's the point. The Pharisees were the good church-going people that looked really clean and prim and proper. And everybody thought, well, if anybody's going to have it, it's those guys. But you are saved only by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So come to Jesus. Don't think your sins are so bad that Jesus can't save them. Don't think that you're so good that you don't need to ask for forgiveness you don't ask for forgiveness, you're not saved. You're not a Christian. You can't stand before God. Second, our hope as a Christian does not rest in how we live but how, or how we behave or what our lives look like. Our hope is in Christ. Christ is sufficient. Let, let me put it to you this way. When it comes to your salvation, Don't trust in your ability to respond to God. When it comes to salvation, don't trust in your behavior before God. Don't trust in your obedience. I am trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. How can this be a comfort to you? Well, think about this. Sometimes in our Christian life, we all stumble with sin. I shouldn't say sometimes. We all stumble with sin. And sometimes it leads to discouragement. We rightly feel a a sense of guilt. You know, I I should be obeying God in His commands. I should be walking in His ways. But, But you know what? Keep in mind that Christ forgives those sins just as He did when you first came to Him. And forgiveness of sins is not based on how well you're living. It's by trusting in Christ. Sometimes when we have a besetting sin, we become so discouraged in how we're living our lives, we begin to doubt our salvation. We begin to wonder, is God really there? And and some of us are really, you know, we heap and pile guilt upon ourselves. And, And it's not so much genuine conviction, which would be a good thing. 
It's that sort of, I'm so horrible, I must not be saved. You were horrible when you got saved. Just because God was working in you afterwards, and now you've fallen back into some sin. Salvation is exactly the same way. Trusting in Jesus. As a Christian, don't get overconfident in obedience so that your trusting in Christ suddenly starts to slide into this pattern of I'm trusting in what I can do for God. Let me kind of bring that to a a third point. Christ is sufficient for your salvation and mine and nothing else needs to be added. It's called legalism when we start to add conditions to our salvation. Now, we hope that a Christian over time will begin to look more and more like Jesus in their behavior. But over time, you looking more and more like Jesus is not what saves you. Jesus saves you. Obeying God does not bring to me more of God's saving grace. Let me say that again. Obeying God doesn't bring me more of God's saving grace. God's saving grace is received by faith alone. And we continue to walk in that faith as believers. Let me try to flesh this out with a little bit of analogy. You love your children if you have kids. I hope you love your children. If not, I'll counsel you. Come, come and see me afterwards. But, but as, as a parent, we, we love our kids. They are our family. They belong to us. And sometimes our kids obey, and sometimes our kids disobey. And we go through seasons where, you know, when they're not obeying, there's, there's a little bit of displeasure with them. We discipline them because we love them. We might say at that moment, I'm, I'm not pleased with what you're doing. But we would never dream of saying to our children, you're not obeying me, therefore you're not my child. You don't belong to me. Is obeying our parents important? Yes. Does it make us part of the family? No. Is obeying God important as, as an, an overflow of, of the gratitude that we have for grace? Yeah. Fruit of the Spirit should grow. We hope you blossom in godliness like a flower will, will blossom in the garden. But does obeying God make me part of his family? Does it get me saved? Absolutely not. No. And in the church and in God's family, we need to be careful that we don't start acting like it's obedience before God that makes him love us more. Scripture says, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you while you were a sinner. And he lays the word of his grace before you. And if you believe in that, you receive the forgiveness of sins completely. In its entirety. Don't start adding conditions to that down the road. 
to keep it, to make sure you look really good on the outside, to even when other people come in saying, well, I'm not sure if they're a believer because they don't look like this. Or they didn't wear this to church on Sunday. Or they didn't keep some ceremony that we have. People are believers based on whether or not they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we just pray that you would strengthen us in our hearts this morning, uh, that you would comfort us, encourage us, give us just assurance of the sufficiency of Christ for our salvation. In your precious name we pray. Uh, Amen.